You guys doing well? Excellent. Good to have you with us. Exodus, the way out. Exodus chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Healing a Broken Spirit is the title of this weekend's message. Also grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. You'll see there on the top of that, life is hard. There's no doubt about it. Life is hard. And if we aren't careful, the hardness of life can break our spirit and make us hard. It can make us bitter. Let's just think about that for a minute. The hardness of life over time, if we don't learn how to process it, it will make, uh, it'll break our spirit and make us hard. It can make us bitter. And, and bitterness is a sign that you have missed the grace of God and uh, this bitter root is beginning to grow up in your own heart and it will cause trouble within your life and then your life will defile many other people's lives. It tells us that uh, very clearly in Hebrews 12, 15. So when I say bitterness, life can make you bitter. What comes to mind for you? Turn to the people next to you and just uh, maybe come up with uh, maybe your own list or just a few thoughts of what that bitterness uh, would produce in a person's life. What would that look like? Because it's important for us to be able to identify that. So do that real quick and then I'll give you my list real quick. You come up with a list? Here's just some quick things that I came up with, uh, holding a grudge, defensiveness, argumentative. I mean, you could probably come up with a, even more than that, but let me, let me walk you through just some statements that uh, would define someone that has become bitter or is becoming bitter. Uh, these are kind of some extreme statements, so you could be anywhere on a spectrum on any of these. Uh, characteristics of bitter people project, uh, bitter people project a self-righteous attitude suggesting they're justified in feeling resentment. So self-righteous and resentment, couple words there. Bitter people, when displeased with someone, they either <clears throat> let them have it or shut down and withdraw. So they're, they don't manage their anger appropriately. It's either uh, open aggression or it's passive aggression. One or the other, when they've been offended or hurt by someone, they don't respond to it uh, necessarily uh, appropriately or in a healthy way. Uh, bitter people, they are often bored, cynical, and express a lot of sarcastic humor. Uh, bitter people observe and criticize more than they participate. Bitter people are overly sensitive, so you can easily offend them, and or overly insensitive to the needs of others. They're, they can be very cold-hearted. They can be easily offended by you, but they're very cold-hearted uh, towards you. Um, bitter people, because they believe they have been burned, they no longer have the trust necessary to build solid, positive relationships. So they just kind of tend to withdraw from relationships and keep it at a, at a distance. Um, bitter people, they believe the world is unfair and freely express their impatience and anger. Bitter people are, uh, they no longer expect success 
but don't accept responsibility for their failures. Instead, they, instead they blame others and uh, bitter people. They're, most, they're, they're almost always irritable and frequently express annoyance in most situations. Now, did I, did I get everybody? Okay, just want to make sure you're on the list here. Okay, so uh, I, I think, I mean, I did a lot of extensive research on that, and I came up with like two or three pages, and I, I tried to condense them down just to that. So we're going to talk about this morning about a broken spirit. This is really, really important for all of us, because life is hard, and it can break your spirit, and it can make you bitter, and that will... I will poison your life, and you're going to poison other people's lives as a result of that. So what is a broken spirit? What causes a broken spirit? How do you heal a broken spirit? That's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help, and then we'll look at this text and unpack our notes. So Father God, we know life is hard. It just beats the living daylights out of us sometimes, but, but you are perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, unlimited in power, working in our circumstances for our good and your glory. And so we pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, keep us, keep us from failing to obtain your amazing grace and letting a root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble in our lives and then our lives defiling many other people's lives. God, we pray that you would be close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit this morning. We pray these things in your Savior's beautiful name, in our Savior's beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, so let me give you just an up, uh, kind of bring you up to speed of where we are in this study as we've been working our way through the book of Exodus. <clears throat> Exodus, here's kind of a thesis statement. Uh, God provides the way out from things that enslave our Egypt and leads us into on intimacy with him. So he saves us from something, enslavement, for something, intimacy with him. Uh, the book uh, Exodus is all about redemption, setting us free. It's a book about salvation. Salvation is about liberation. And so Exodus chapter 1, we titled it Blessing in Bitter Times. Uh, God's people are, exper are experiencing blessing in spite of their bitter times. They're heavily oppressed by the Egyptians, but they're experiencing this blessing because they believe that chapter 2, God knows, cares, and rules. That was the title of the, uh, of the second week of this study. God knows, cares, and rules the circumstances of our lives for our good and his glory. And in chapter 2, we saw that God was raising up a leader, Moses, a type of Christ, to lead them out of their Egyptian bondage. In chapter 3, in Encounter with God, we see Moses having this amazing encounter with God. And then God says, I want you to go back to Egypt because he's in exile. And he goes back to, he wants, uh, God wants him to go back to Egypt to set his people free from their Egyptian bondage. He argues with God a bit. Chapter four, God says, but I'm gonna be with you. That's, we titled that God's empowering presence. And so at the end of chapter four, when Moses shares God's words and, and signs with the people, they believe and worship in hope. They go, yes, freedom at last. And then uh, Exodus chapter five, Darren did a great job with that, giving us a picture of unbelief because Moses, Aaron, and the elders head to the palace to give Pharaoh God's command that he is to let his people go to worship him. However, the response from Pharaoh is not what they expected. In fact, it's quite devastating. He goes, who is this God? I don't know this God. And in fact, 
Pharaoh just puts the heat, turns the heat up a little bit more on their oppression and their abuse. He begins to really, begin, begins to abuse them even more. And, uh, and, and so they're baffled by this. God's promises do not seem to match his providence, and they're devastated. And, and Exodus chapter 5 ends with the Israelites complaining to Moses. They're really upset. I thought you were going to set us free, and now it's even worse. Things have gotten worse for us. So they complain to Moses, and then Moses brings two questions and one complaint to God. Here's the two questions and one complaint at the end of uh, chapter 5, just before we read chapter 6. This is all leading up to chapter 6 that we'll be reading here. And uh, his, his two questions, why have you done this, God, making things worse for the people? And, and why have you sent me? Why have you sent me? And then his one complaint, Lord, since I have come here, Pharaoh has made things worse. And you, God, haven't made things any better. Now, I'm sure most of us have come to, to the Lord like that. We've all done that. I, I've, uh, maybe, you, uh, maybe you can't sleep nights like me because of TMB, too many birthdays. You're just old and you have a hard time sleeping. Or maybe it's not you're too old. You have a, a child that keeps you up. You, know, you're, you're, you wake up every hour on the hour. You have those crazy nights. And, and you're thinking, what good in your providence could this possibly have? Like last night, I had a hard night, and I'm thinking, I got to get up and preach two messages this next morning. What in the world are you doing, God? I'm doing my part. I got to bed early. I can't sleep. <laughs> I mean, and so maybe, maybe that's you, or maybe, maybe you've always wanted to have a child, and you can't. You haven't. Or... Maybe you wanted to get married, you're still single, and you're thinking, man, I've, I've, I've lived for the Lord, I've prayed that I, I could get married, but you haven't gotten married. Or, or maybe you raised your children in, in a manner that was consistent with God's word, and they went, they went south. And you're thinking, what in the world? God, I, I served you, and my kids have rejected my faith. They've rejected you, God. Or maybe you're struggling with just there's a chronic struggle with temptation. Maybe it's porn or same-sex attraction or it's gambling or it's drinking or drugs or maybe it's a chronic illness. It's become a thorn in your flesh or a difficult job or an ongoing family, ongoing family issues. You're thinking, Why? What are you doing in all of this? Why did you send me? Lord, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I don't feel like you're doing your part. That's, uh, that is what Moses feels like. Now, you could probably complete this sentence. Anytime we deal with anything, any, you know, we step up. Let's say at the beginning of this year, you say, man, I'm going to step up. I'm going to really start becoming more disciplined in my spiritual life or physical life or relational life or any of those things. You start addressing the issues and the things there, and uh, maybe you can complete this sentence. It always gets worse before it gets... Yeah, why is that? It's because... Uh, we're beginning to uncover all why we are what we are, and it's hard to face reality. It's really, really difficult. It always gets worse before it gets better. That's what's happening. And so here's God's response to him in chapter 6. All of that to say, here's our text. <laughs> 
Here we go, chapter six. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, this word here, Yahweh. Once again, he's repeating what he already said to him in chapter three when he had this encounter with God. In fact, what's fascinating about this, five times he's gonna say, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Okay, what's the point? I think he's saying here that when things are going from bad to worse in your life, fix your eyes on me. That's what he's saying. Fix your eyes on me, get to know me, cultivate intimacy with me. That's what you need more than anything because we tend to focus on our circumstances or the people in our lives or the things that aren't working the way they should. He's saying, fix your eyes on me. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. Verse three, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. In other words, I'm making myself known to you in greater detail and much more intimacy than what I made myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say uh, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. There it is again, I am the Lord. And now what's, I want you to take notice of this. This is really fascinating. He's gonna do this seven times. He's gonna say, I will, 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 seven times. What's the point here? Not only fix your eyes on me, my person, but fix your eyes on my promises. Saturate your life with my promises. Now listen to what he says here. Verse six, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. There's that statement again. Who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse eight, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Verses seven and eight are really the, the theme verses for the whole book. He, he, he brings us out to bring us in. He's gonna bring us out of enslavement. He wants to set us free to bring us into intimacy with him, that fullness of life that only can be found in him. Now, verse nine is the key verse to, to this whole study. And Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Now, why did they not listen? Now, th- those are all, th- these, this is great. This is wonderful truths. This should take them to the, to the skies. They should say, yes, that's what we needed to hear, but they can't hear him. They're not listening to him. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So, so what it's saying is that you can be so busted up by life, you can't even hear the truth. You can't even hear God's voice. You can't hear his words of comfort and power and strength. That's what's happening to them. We're gonna unpack that 
in our study and in our notes. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, they did not listen to Moses. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. I'm, I'm a fallen, broken person. I can't do this. I can't even talk right. I can't even articulate it to him. They haven't listened to me. How is he going to listen to me? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is God's holy word to us this weekend. And so you can read the rest on your own. Verses 14 through 30 is the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. It kind of ends in the same language there, kind of reiterate some stuff at the end, verses 26 through 30. And I'm gonna, I'll talk about that in our notes, but let's first of all answer the question. Take a look at your notes. What is a broken spirit? What is a broken spirit? Verse nine, the word spirit here found in verse nine, the Hebrew for that, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word means wind, force, power, energy. So here's your first fill in the blank. This is what... Uh, spirit means it is to have spirit. It is passion to live. It is passion to live or that which propels us out into life to take on life. So it's that which propels us out into life to take on life. It's this kind of sense of vision. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in you. Man, you're just, you're going forward. You're excited about life. The word broken here in the Hebrew is shortness, impatience, and anguish. So a broken spirit, so let's combine those two words together. A broken spirit is having, this is your fill in the blank, a broken spirit is having very little passion to live. A broken spirit is having very little passion to live. So it's ranging from very little passion to to live is, is ranging from listlessness, just apathy, lethargic, almost kind of don't care attitude about life, to depression, hopelessness, to being suicidal. So it's this spectrum of just like, ah, I just feel like quitting, I feel like giving up, just apathetic, can't get out of bed in the morning, to just, just downright depression, hopelessness, helplessness, despair, to suicide. That's where that leads. You're just suicidal. This is too painful. I'm going to put an end to this. Now, a good uh, verse that helps us to understand that is found in Proverbs, Proverbs 18.14. Proverbs 18.14. Let me read it to you and listen to what the words say here. A man's spirit, a man's spirit, what is spirit? Passion to live. A man's spirit will endure sickness. But a crushed spirit, who can bear So let me kind of paraphrase this. So this is what I was thinking as it relates to that. So if my circumstances are broken, whether it's sickness or relationships or or whatever the problem is or finances, if my circumstances are broken but my spirit is strong, I have passion to live, I will respond with strength. But if my circumstances are going strong but my spirit is broken, I will respond with weakness. 
Does that make sense? So I can be in the best circumstances, but if I have a broken spirit, it doesn't matter, which means that then if my circumstances do become broken, oh my goodness, it's going to push you over the edge. It's going to annihilate you. And so uh, here's another way that I've, I've put it in the past. Maybe you've heard me say this. It's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you that either makes you or breaks you in life. So it's not what happens to you. It's not your circumstances. And by the way, I'm not minimizing your circumstances whatsoever because I'm telling you, there are sometimes I feel like with my circumstances, somebody came up behind me and hit me over the head with a shovel and knocked me down in, into the mud. And I feel like I'm face down into, into the dirt. That's how I feel sometimes with circumstances. Have you ever felt like that? You guys know what I'm talking about? You're just like, what the heck? Where'd that come from? So I'm not minimizing that. But I'm just telling you to get through the, the difficult circumstances. It's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you. It's not your circumstances, but it's your character. It's your spirit. It's having a sense of vision about life. Picture the future that produces passion because, because God is breathing life into you and you understand what he wants to do in and through your life regardless of what goes down in your life. So it's not what happens to you, your circumstances, but what happens in you, your character or, or that spirit, having a whole vibrant spirit that either makes you or breaks you in life. So let's talk about what causes a broken spirit. I think we find that right there in verse 9. Now, the Bible's understanding of a broken spirit is more nuanced, more multidimensional, more multifaceted than anything in secular world. Our secular world, and I've even seen this in the Christian world, where it tends to be a bit reductionistic where someone says, man, I'm just like, I feel like giving up in life. I don't want to go on. And so a lot of times Christians, well-meaning Christians will come along and say, well, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you coming to church? And all of those things are really important, but you can do all of those things and still be pretty listless and be depressed. So there's more to it than just that. Does that make sense? Or other well-meaning people might say, well, you, are you exercising? Are you watching your diet? Are you getting enough rest at night? And all those things. And, and that can be part of it, but you can be doing all of that and still be depressed. Or are you, are, you, are you thinking good, positive thoughts? Are you processing life appropriately? Are you dealing with your soul? Are you forgiving? All those things. And that's, that's important too. Here, here's, here's the point. I put the verse on your notes. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 actually talks about our, our body, soul, and spirit. Our body, soul, and spirit all play a part. So depression can come from something not right with my body. It can be diet, exercise, brain chemistry. Or my soul, it can be thoughts, my emotions, my will. I'm not managing that part of my life very well. I've got a lot of bitterness and anger, and I'm getting beat up by life, but I'm not processing it well. I'm not dealing with it appropriately. So that can certainly beat me down. Or it can be, it can be a spiritual thing. It can be very demonic. There's a spiritual dynamic to our lives. And maybe there's no spiritual disciplines. I'm not healthy spiritually. I'm not connecting with God regularly. That can be certainly the cause, or it can be a combination of all three. It can be body, soul, and spirit. Take a look at your notes here in the word harsh slavery, which is per, uh, part of verse 9. The Hebrew is there, severe, cruel, and fierce labor is captives. That's what that means. And it's because of their harsh slavery, their spirit was broken. So harsh slavery, it looks like it's all three of those areas. So it looks like it's body, soul, and spirit because you can just be beat up from working too much and not taking enough rest. But there's also that, uh, there's that emotional dynamic of abuse. They're being abused. And then there's also a spiritual dynamic like, where are you, God, in this? God, I thought you were with me. 
Things aren't getting any better in my life. I started working on my marriage. I started working on my finances. I started working on this part of my life, and it only seems to be getting worse. And so there's that, that harsh slavery. Now, let me give you the profile of abusers, and I, what I'm going to share with you, this next part is actually from the book Mending the Soul. Uh, Stephen R. Tracy, I've, I've encouraged you to, to get that book to read to it. I think everybody needs to go through that book. I think it's a great book. And it's uh, Stephen R. Tracy is the author. It's called Mending the Soul. And in that book, it gives a lot of great insight on this whole idea uh, of abuse and, and brokenness. And uh, in that book, it talks about profile of abusers. And in Exodus 5 that we studied last week, um, Pharaoh is an abuser. Would you agree with that? There's no doubt about it. And so they come to Pharaoh with the words of God and say, hey, let my people go so they can worship me. And what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh says, are you kidding me? I don't even know this God. And by the way, you guys are just lazy. You guys are lazy, and I'm going to make it even harder on you because I'm going to make you continue to produce the bricks that I want you to produce, but I'm not going to supply the straw anymore. You're going to have to go around and scrounge around for the supply of the straw. And he, I mean, so he just, he's turning up the heat. He's making it harder. He's making it more difficult. And so let me give you this uh, profile of abusers. You're going to see all these characteristics really in Exodus chapter 5 pervasive denial of responsibility. By the way, I'm saying this to you because they're going to be abusers in your life and you need to be able to identify them. And these are the characteristics of abusers. I've had abusers in my life. I've had abusers in the church as leaders. I went to a church that that had all of these characteristics that I'm going to tell you. The pastor of the church had every one of these characteristics. Pervasive denial of responsibility. It's not my fault, it's your fault. You guys are just lazy. Bold deceitfulness. Harsh judgmentalism and calculated intimidation. You need to be be able to identify those characteristics in people because they'll typically manipulate you and try to control your life. That's what what Pharaoh is doing. That's what there's people in our lives. I wouldn't doubt if there's people in your life currently that they have some of these characteristics. Now, this is how it works in our lives, and this is how what causes a broken spirit. It works along this line. It starts with abuse. Abuse leads to shame. Shame leads to powerlessness. Powerlessness leads to deadness. Deadness leads to isolation. Let me walk through each of these. They're on your notes there. So it starts with abuse. And abuse, you could also call it trauma. You just, just, you get beat up by life. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Things don't go well. And uh, sins can, can be committed against us. They can be physical, sexual. It can be neglect. It can be spiritual. It can be verbal. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of what all those look like. If you want uh, to learn more about that, I did a teaching several years ago when we went to the book of Judges, Old Testament book of Judges, and the very last message in that book, I talked a lot about that abuse, and you can still on our DB app get that message and listen to it, and I go into the more specifics of what the different kinds of abuse look like. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we were created for relationship 
with God and with one another, really to visibly show God's attributes and as God's representatives to care for creation. Abuse and trauma is a perversion of the divinely ordained image of God. Just before we move on here, let me just say this, that if you are in a relationship, whether it be home, church, school, work, sports, and there is a hint of any kind of abuse and or you see the profile of an abuser, you need to talk to someone in authority about it. And if you're not getting anywhere there, you need to come and talk to us and we will help you to navigate that. I had last night, last night's service, I had a young man come up to me who's being bullied in his school situation and I chatted with him and talked with him about that. He was there with his parents. And so we're gonna get a team of people to go over there and whip up on, wait. Okay, no, we're not gonna do that. We've got, we've got a special ministry team here at Desert Breeze that takes care of bullies, okay? Woo! And I'm leading the pack, baby. <laughs> and that's what I felt like doing. I, I, was, I was very sorrowful for him. I said, man, that really makes me mad. That, that breaks my heart. That makes me mad. Um, and so we, I had got a chance to minister to him, kind of help him to process it. I just I commended him for being so courageous to come up and talk to me about that. And uh, you need to talk to someone. If you even think, if you, if you have a hint of it, don't be afraid. Because sometimes, what I find interesting is a lot of people don't even know where the lines are drawn anymore. We're, we've blurred the lines in abuse. People don't even know what abuse is. If you read that book, you're going to find out that you've been more abused than what you think. And you've taken more hits than what you needed to take. And if you haven't processed those appropriately, it's going to do a number on you. And, uh, and so that's going to lead to shame. Abuse leads to shame, unfounded disgust towards self. We feel uh, defective, irredeemable, unlovable, and all we can do is hide and hope no one finds hope. That's what that young man said to me last night. That's how he felt. These guys are belittling him, making fun of him, making fun of his color, the color of his skin. That's despicable. Just makes me so angry when I see that. That's abuse. And it's, and it's heaping shame on him. Now, so unfounded disgust towards self. We feel defective, irredeemable, unlovable. And all we can do is hide and hope no one finds out. Now, there is a healthy kind of guilt and shame. We're talking about an unhealthy. Let me define so you know the difference. So the, the healthy kind of guilt and shame is that guilt is being troubled over what you've done. And guess what? All of us have done bad stuff. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So we're all guilty. So we should be troubled. And then that should create shame within us. So guilt is troubled over what we've done. Shame is troubled over who we are. And when we understand that, Guess where we run? We run into the arms of our Savior because that's why he died, to redeem us. So that's, that would be a healthy guilt and shame. So we run to him because we've done some bad stuff and, and we can be really bad people. We are sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible says that, very clear about that. But then there's another kind of shame that's thrown on us because of the abuse. You could be raised in a home where you have parents that say, you're an idiot, you're not going to amount to anything, whatever it is. I mean, you know what's so crazy about this? I still remember the words of school teachers to me. 
that said things that were so unkind that it, it, it broke my spirit. Well, anybody with a brain would have done much better on their score and their test than what you did. It's like, oh my goodness, that's abuse. I can still, those things still float around in my head. Why would I remember that so vividly? There's other things that adults or people have said to me, coworkers, that poisoned my life, put shame on me. So you got abuse, you got shame, you got powerlessness. That's the next word, feeling helpless and hopeless to stop the abuse and or to get over the pain of past hurt. You just feel like, man, I can't get over this. Why does this dominate my thoughts when, God, I want your word to dominate my thoughts, but all I, my mind keeps going back to this. It's overwhelming. What my parents said to me, what these coworkers said to me. So there's almost this powerlessness, feeling helpless and hopeless to stop the abuse and or to get over the pain of the past hurt. And so this can create within us uncontrollable anxiety attacks, flashbacks, nightmares, irritability, sleeplessness, PTSD. Now, now think about this. If we're not good at processing life, by the way, in the, in, when it says that when we are to pray like this, pray the Lord's Prayer. Part of the Lord's Prayer, there's that part where it says, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That's kind of like taking out the trash. It's getting rid of the junk in our lives. That's why we're supposed to do that regularly. But if we don't do a good job at kind of taking out the trash in our own lives and then, then the trash that people have put in our lives, that's what you're doing is you're getting rid of that stuff in your life. It, it piles up. And you might ignore that and try to move on and you've stuffed it down inside of you. But believe me, I mean, what's happening is that you're, you're stockpiling this stuff and, uh, and over time, stockpiled hurts get buried alive. They don't just go dormant. They're gonna come back with a vengeance in your life if you don't deal with that stuff. Here's where I often see it. I often see it in, in funerals where people just go, just they almost unload all of the baggage that they've built up through the years. So, you, so think about this. I mean, so you can, if you came from a broken home and you didn't resolve that and work through that, and then you get in a dysfunctional marriage, and then you're, you're an abusive job or abusive boss or coworkers or life just beats the heck out of you, then over time, you know, after you're 20, 30, 40 years old, 50 years old, you can see why over time if people don't process that, they get in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, they're bitter. They're defiled. They're poisoning everybody around them. Nobody wants to be around them. You can see that because they haven't processed life because that stuff doesn't go dormant when you shove it down inside of you. If you don't process it, it's gonna eat away at you like a cancer. And then, that's why one of the verses on that actually I gave you at the top there is Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. He says, be angry be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, and then do not give a d the devil a foothold. I believe it's one of the ways we give the devil a foothold into our lives. He takes us out through bitterness. You don't need to worry about the devil, you know, oh, the devil. We all worry about it. Well, he's, he's coming after us through our bitterness. That's, I think that's the number one way that he's going to take us out is through bitterness. And that's why it says be angry, but don't sin. So there's a righteous indignation, there's an unrighteous indignation. 
So yeah, it's, it's appropriate. When you see somebody being abused, it's right, there's a righteous indignation to, to want to defend and wanted to, wanting to help. And, but there's appropriate ways of, of channeling that anger. God gave us that anger for a reason, to stand up for, for the abused, for the marginalized, for the, for the outcast, for those people that are being hurt by life and people in life. And so we can channel that appropriately, but we've got to learn how to process. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Process it. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not miss out on the grace of God and let a bitter root spring up in your heart, causing trouble within your own life and then you defiling other people's lives, Hebrews 12, 15. So it goes abuse, shame, powerlessness, deadness, the shutting down of all, all feelings so that instead of feeling pain, one simply feels nothing. There's almost a numbing And if it proves insufficient, we will numb ourselves chemically. We will numb ourselves chemically. See, this is what I've not really understood this about our culture. We celebrate the numbing of ourselves. Let's go get wasted and drunk. What are you going to do this weekend? I'm going to go get, I'm going to go kill brain cells. That's what I'm going to do. I mean, they wouldn't put it like that, but, but it's stupidity. It's dumb. It's asinine. It makes no sense to me. Why are you numbing yourself? I'll tell you why you're numbing yourself. You think that's fun. You're just trying to bury the pain that's deep inside of you. And we celebrate that with all the beer commercials. I was uh, reminded of a verse this morning, Proverbs 20, chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. What is that saying? It's going to mock you. It's going to brawl you. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Did you know that, that opioid overdose, in the U.S., there's an opioid overdose epidemic, 200,000 cases a year in America. We're trying to medicate ourselves. Why would we want to do that? Where's the pursuit of happiness? Because our spirits are broken. We don't know how to process this. We're chasing after the wrong things. It creates this deadness within us. And then there's isolation. That's the next next word there. So you got this process that's happening. And so it goes from abuse, shame, powerlessness, deadness, isolation, shattered intimacy with God and others. With God, there's almost the rejecting the existence of God. I mean, think about this. If you're raised in a home where there's neglect or abuse by your dad, and you come to church, and I talk about the father image of God, he's our father, he's our daddy, you're not going to run to him. You need to have that redefined for you. You've got, you got a totally different concept of father. You probably despise him. You reject him. So that needs to be redefined for you. And so uh, this isolation, rejecting the very, you might reject the very existence of God or withdraw, you can't trust God, or there's a cowering feeling, feeling he, God, will never love or accept you. And then with others, there's, there can be mistrust, no intimacy with our most important relationships. There's no emotional connection or risk-taking in relationships. And we miss out on the joy of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? In in essence, what he was defining for us, he's just saying, hey, here, folks, this is the epitome of emotional, relational, psychological health. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. 
Man, let him lavish you with his love. Live every day in the reality of his amazing love for you. And then let that so fill up your life that it overflows into the lives of others. Oh, that's how you want to live. That's what he was saying. And that's what we all want. See, that's a healthy person. Man, I'm just loving God. He's with me. He loves me. Yeah, life's hard, but he's bigger. He's stronger. He's better than all the stuff that I face in this life. And he is with me. He's for me. He's lavishing me with his love. I'm learning to be wise. I'm not adding on to the abuse of life by bad relationships and bad circumstances. I'm kind of careful about all those things. But I also know that because we live in a broken world, I'm going to experience some hard times. But he's bigger than all of that. He's greater. He loves me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. And then out of that overflow, I can help others. That's what he wants for us. Okay, so how to heal a broken, a broken spirit. Let me give you, I gave you the profile of... Uh, profile of abusers. Let me give you the profile of healers. And uh, profile of healers. So when someone has been just devastated by bad news, when someone's just been rocked, they just got that phone call that they hoped that they would never get, but they got, and they are leveled out. And oftentimes people would say to me, so what, what, what should I say? What should I do? Well, here, here's, here's what you need to do. Be real. Admit your honest feelings of shock and sorrow. I just, I shared with that young man last night. I said, man, I'm so sorry. That's horrible. I feel so bad. Give me their phone numbers. <laughs> Give me their addresses. I didn't say that, but I was thinking. I was like, oh. So, so admit your honest feelings of shock and sorrow. Be quiet. That's the next one. It's your presence and love they need most. Don't preach. Don't give a bunch of verses, especially right after. If somebody's still reeling after, that's, that's okay down the road. You might be able to have discussion. You might have relationship. But don't load them down with a bunch of, hey, God will work everything out for your good. It's like, what? That doesn't even make sense during that moment of, of, of just being taken out, just leveled. It's so overwhelming. Listen to me. There's things in life that are so overwhelming. They just need to be loved. People will say, well, what do I do? Love them. Love them. Tell them you're for them. You're with them. God's with them. Even though they can't fill him, you're with them. He's with you. When I walked into that room with that young man that had accidentally shot himself in the head, I didn't come in there preaching a bunch of messages. I just, I wept with him. I just loved him. I told him, I know you feel abandoned by God, but he's here. He loves you guys. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. So you just, you've got to be with him. Be supportive. Listen and comfort with, with a tender heart of understanding. Be available for the long haul. Grieving takes time. A great example of this is found in Jesus in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Like Jesus with, uh, with the sisters of Lazarus. Remember the story? You guys familiar with the story? Lazarus died. So Jesus, he was real. He wept. He was quiet. He took their angry rebukes. You gotta be able to take angry rebukes. Man, I've gone sometimes where people just say, where's God in this? And I, I feel like they're gonna come over and choke me out. 
And you, okay, go ahead and choke me out right now. I'll go to be with Jesus, but I'm okay with it. You know, I mean, you got to take it. You got to realize that's, that's what's going on emotionally sometimes. And, and Jesus took their angry rebukes. So he was real, he wept, he was quiet, he took their angry rebukes. He was supportive. He was deeply moved by compassion, and he was available. He stayed by their side. Here's, here's what we need more than anything. More than anything else, God uses people to heal people. More than anything else, God uses people to heal people. Wait, 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 wait. You're thinking, people cause my problems. And you want me to get close to people? Yeah, 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 I do. But healthy people, you, get, you need to get wiser about the people you choose, okay? Don't choose abusive people. Recognize the abusive people. Get close to people that are healers, not hurters, okay? People that hurt you, stay away. Tell them, that hurts. But get close to people that are going to heal you. And, and choose those kind of people because the tendency is to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, forget it, I'm not getting close to anybody else. That will hurt you terribly. More than anything else, God uses people to heal people. God's plan A for healing is community. And that's why we do small groups. It's hard doing small groups. A lot of people don't want small groups. We live in a, a society that's, we're rugged individualists. Independence and anonymity is the, is the goal. That's why people like to just come to church, hide out. I don't want to connect with anybody. That is so unhealthy. It's unbelievable. You need to connect at a deeper level with others more than what you do here on a weekend service. So we've got small groups. We've also got Mending the Soul groups. You can go online on our first page and scroll down, and there's a little tab that says MTS. You can hit on that and kind of look to see what small groups we might have. Listen to me. Your Savior, listen to me. Your Savior suffered infinitely and voluntarily for you so that he can help you with your affliction so that you can in turn help others in their affliction. We call it church. It's community. And so we need to pray, uh, prayerfully walk through these statements. I'm gonna knock these out pretty quickly. I, I gave you a lot, a lot of stuff here, and you need to take this home and process it. You need to keep it available and keep coming back to it. You need to work it down deep into your heart and take it to your small group, and as you guys walk through these steps, and, and this is a long, a long process. These are just tools that you need to have for life. You need to face your brokenness. Face your brokenness. Exodus 5, 21 through 23, you see that with... Uh, you see that with Moses, also in Exodus 6, 14 through 30, don't keep it a secret. We are only as sick as our secrets. There is no healing in hiding. James 5, 16 says, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, and you will be healed. Uh, you want to call it what it is? I love the Bible. It doesn't deny reality, uh, but it it. It doesn't deny reality, it defies. Joy that he gives us defies it. It becomes a buoyancy in our life. So call it what it is. Grieve the loss and dare to hope. I gotta tell you, man, there have been times in my life that I thought I wasn't gonna get through the, the darkness. That I got the news, I got the report. It was so overwhelming. I just thought, oh my goodness. And so 
I had to do this. I grieved the loss and dared to hope. Psalm 42 has been just such a rich... Uh, we sang a, a little bit of that this morning. But here, here's a verse that, I've, that I have wrestled with that's been very helpful for me. Psalm 42, 11, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Why are you downcast? Oh, my goodness. Why are you in turmoil within me? Is this ever going to go away? That soul pain is so... It hurts so bad, you wonder, what? How am I, am I going to get through this? Notice what he says. Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He, does, he says this like three or four times in these two chapters. He just, he's preaching the gospel to himself. Dare to hope. Grieve the loss. Dare to hope. God, you, I'm going to get through this. But, and so let me just say, when you, when you go through that, if you've gone through that, you know this, and you've probably seen better days as you hung in there. But sometimes it's taken me days, sometimes weeks, and it might even take months sometimes, and it might even take years. But don't quit. You're going to get through that. Don't quit. You're going to get through it. Take verses like this. Grieve the loss. Dare to hope. And uh, let God reinterpret your trauma. We'll talk about that a little bit more with the uh, 50, 20. I mean, verses that I, I saturate myself with a lot of verses, and I'm just numb to them some, sometimes. I just like, yeah, whatever. I, I know those verses, but, they, but let me just say, let me just give you this one verse. Psalm 147, 3 and 4 says, listen to me, the one who names and numbers the stars can heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. I'm telling you, he can do that. He can do that, and he will do that for you. I gave you a number of other verses there. Psalm 34, 6 and 18. Romans 8, 38 through 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let me talk just very briefly about the genealogy. Why is that genealogy right there in that chapter? Let me give you my, my insight on that. It's verses 14 through 30. It's God's response to Moses asking in Exodus 5:22, why did you ever send me? God's response is this. Moses, you are part of God's chosen family in the line of Abraham. And God's family is not full of cowards and quitters, even though it's terribly, a terribly imperfect family. And that's the point that he's making here. Do you realize how imperfect his family is? When you go through this genealogy, this is what you're going to find. Abraham, the father of our faith. Abraham, the father of our faith, pimps out his wife a couple of times just to save his own neck. Okay? You guys familiar with that part in this story? Yeah, how about this one? Jacob simultaneously is married to two sisters while both sisters are alive. Judah has an incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law. Reuben commits adultery with his father's wife while the father is still living. I mean, do you feel any better about your family now? Okay, and, I, and whenever someone wants to argue that the Bible has been tampered with, I'm thinking, are you crazy? Have you read the Bible? Because the, they need to tamper with it more because these look like God's people don't look very good, okay? And then it kind of makes me feel better about my family and about me. What do we learn from the genealogy? This is what we learn. Sin and brokenness can be passed on from generation to generation. There's a homing instinct that we need to be aware of. A homing instinct is that we tend to go back to that which is most familiar to us, even if it's dysfunctional. 
So if you're raised in a home where they did nothing but yelling and screaming, that's how they, that's how they dealt, that's, that's their conflict resolution. We're going to yell and scream at each other. Well, guess what? That's probably how you're going to respond to life, yell and scream. And, and there's so many other examples of that, but we tend, but it, just, it just seems normal. That's just how you do it. That's how we did it in our home. And, uh, and so it, there can be any number of things. So, so we look back not to blame but for understanding. My wife was, gave me some really good insight this last week. She says, if we spend all of our time looking back, it's a little bit like trying to drive your car by looking into the rearview mirror constantly. You're not going to get very far down the road. So what do we do with the rearview mirror? We just look, we glance from time to time. We look back not to blame but for understanding so that God can bring healing. We can say, oh, my goodness, that wasn't a good way to resolve conflict. I need to learn a better way, God. I'm broken. So God, help me, heal me in this. Here's the next thing, is rebuild intimacy with God. Give God your feelings. We've talked about that the last few weeks. Bring your feelings to God. Whether it's numbness or hatred or fear or anger or sadness or despair, the book of Psalms is all about that. It's so raw emotion. I love it. Don't explode your feelings. Don't stuff your feelings. Take your feelings to God. And also maybe to a trusted friend. And so that your feelings, uh, let God reorder them by loving him with all of your heart. Stay focused on his person. Remember five times, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. He knows, he cares, he rules. Fill your heart with his promises in verses six through eight. I will, seven times, I will. I went through those to identify what each of those were, kind of personally from my own life. I will give you freedom. I will adopt you as my own. I will give you intimacy with me. I will give you inheritance. I will give you fulfillment. I will give you fruitfulness. That's what he's saying in all those I wills. And then seek his presence Seek his presence. God, I need your presence. I want your presence. I want to have a sense of your presence. That's what he's asking for in Psalm 42. And always remember that the measure of his love for you is the cross and the measure of his power working in you is the resurrection. How do I know he loves me? The cross. How do I know he's working in my life? What kind of power is he working? The resurrection. I had a a, a close friend of mine this last week told me this. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you for how diligently and relentlessly you are in bringing the gospel week in and week out because it has driven it so deep into my heart now that I would have never survived the trauma that I recently went through if it hadn't been for understanding the gospel rich and robust in my heart. That's what he told me. Praise God, huh? Praise God. So when you come here, you're going to get the gospel beat down into your heart, okay? Week in and week out, because we are excited about who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that's what we need, rebuild intimacy with God. Choose the freedom of forgiveness over the bondage of bitterness. So you really only have two choices when you take hits in life. It's either the bondage of bitterness or the freedom of forgiveness. And you see in Exodus 6.1, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And with God's strong hand, he says that twice in verse 1, so let go of hatred and revenge. Let go of hatred and revenge. I mean, as you're kind of processing this, what has this person really robbed me of when I have so much in Christ is really kind of the rationale you're working through. Let God settle the score. Romans 12, 17 through 21, don't become like the evil that has been done to you. Overcome evil with good. Reflect on the abuser's humanness. That's gonna be hard. It's gonna take time. Colossians 3, 12 through 13, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, put on compassion. Hurt people, do what? Hurt people. Yeah, and it doesn't justify or minimize what your abuser has done to you, but, 
but you're just doing that to understand. And what will happen is that you will begin to pity them if they don't repent because they know that God's coming down on them. God's going to bring judgment on them. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. We're going to see that judgment brought on Pharaoh. Extend grace as God has given to you. The reason why we are unforgiving is because we don't realize how much he has forgiven us. So extend grace as God has forgiven you. And forgiveness is granted before it is felt. It is a promise to stop nursing, cursing, and rehearsing the hurt to your abuser and or to others and or to yourself. You don't stop, you can't stop thoughts from occurring, but you don't have to entertain them. And then maintain healthy boundaries. Don't allow yourself to continue to be re-victimized in relationships and in life. Be careful, be cautious. Trust must be earned over time based on performance. You don't get right back into relationships that are abusive. Not until that person earns that trust to get close to you. That's what I'm saying. Now, this is how you know that healing's coming to you. I went really long. The last night crowd told me they gave me permission to go long in this service. They said, make sure you go long in this service because these folks especially need it. (laughs) That's what they said. I'm just passing it on. But, I, but this is how you know healing's taking place, and I'm about ready to read something here to you that was really powerful for me this last uh, week. Um, and then we're going to take communion. This is all in an effort to kind of prepare our hearts for communion. But um, this is how you know that healing's beginning to take place in your life, is that when you can recall that event, that abuse, without reliving it, and that you can actually celebrate that you're a trophy of God's amazing grace as God recycles that pain in your life so that you can begin to help others. And that's where you've got uh, Joseph in 5020. It's the 50-20 perspective. He looks his perpetrators in the eyes in 5020 of Genesis and he says, you intended to harm me. That was, that was hurtful. But God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God's using my life through all of those events to bring healing to a lot of other people's lives. Let me read this to you. The first two times I read it, I I wept. I read it to our staff this week, and I couldn't get through it. I'm going to get through it this time, okay? And so I got through it really well last night. But from the Gospel Coalition, you can read more on this. These are just excerpts. Former gymnast Rachel Den Hollander had 40 minutes to address the court and her abuser. During the sentencing hearing of Larry Nasser, the former Team USA gymnastics doctor who molested her 16 years ago at his Michigan State University clinic. By the way, this is the gal that initiated all of this, and then they found out there was about 150 gals that had been sexually abused by this guy. And I don't know if you saw that, but they, they, the, the judge allowed each one of them to come up and... and give a speech, and, and with some of them, they were spewing a lot of venom, and I, I mean, I can understand, but I want, to hear, I want you to hear just some of the excerpts from this, this gal. What she said directly to the man who gratified himself off of her innocence and abused countless other girls in a malicious and manipulative way is an incredible testimony to the grace and justice of Jesus Christ. You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires, a man defined by his daily choices repeatedly to feed that selfishness and perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others, and the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially no matter what it cost me. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness 
And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible you carry says it is better for a stone to be placed around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble and you have damaged hundreds, the Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God which you need far more than forgiveness from me though I extend that to you as well. Those are just excerpts from that. It's powerful stuff. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. So we praise you, God. We praise you, Father, that there is no sin that we have committed or sin that's been committed against us that is a match for your redeeming, restoring grace. Nothing can transform a human heart, heal a wounded soul, turn hatred into love, bring about forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace like the gospel. God, we know that whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, you have given us through the gospel a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. We thank you for that. And so as we face our brokenness, rebuild intimacy with you and choose the freedom of forgiveness over the bondage of bitterness, bring healing and wholeness to our lives, we pray in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. Amen. Let's take communion.